Grace be to you and peace from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. We turn our attention to John's Gospel, chapter 20, verses 19 and 20. On the evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were together behind locked doors because of their fear of the Jews. Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. We pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Most of you probably don't know it, but I have uh, some scars. Two small ones right on my wrist. Got them when I was young. I was tearing through the house to get outside to play. Put up my hand to hit the latch on the door. Didn't work. And slid off the door, went right through the glass. Sliced my wrists. It was bleeding, of course. But some bandages, a little pressure. It was okay. But the scars are still there. They're evidence, reminders of what happened that day. All of you probably have some scars. Maybe you got them when you were young, fell off a bike or something, or for some surgery or an accident. Whatever it was that caused the wounds, that's past. They healed. But you still have the scars. You can still point to them as a reminder, as evidence of what had happened to you in the past. On Easter evening, many of the disciples decided to get together, even though it was kind of risky. They didn't know what the Jewish leaders were thinking. The tomb was empty, the stone was rolled away. They probably had heard that they were being blamed, that the soldiers had said, well, the disciples came at night and and stole his body. And that also meant that seal, that official seal of Pilate, that had been broken. Was there a warrant out for their arrest? They didn't know, but they, they had to take the risk. They had to get together. They had to share the things that they had heard and seen. The women were there talking about how they had gone early in the morning to the tomb and the stone was rolled away and Jesus' body wasn't there, but there were some angels one of the angels said, yeah, he's, he's not here. He's risen just as he said. And as they hurried back to tell the disciples, Jesus appeared to them. And then he appeared to Mary Magdalene as she was weeping outside of the tomb in the garden. Peter and John had raced to the tomb to check it out for themselves. They saw that what the woman said was true, Jesus' body wasn't there. But there was evidence that his body hadn't been taken, hadn't been moved. The grave cloths were still there where Jesus' body had been. The, the cloth that was over his face was neatly folded up and set aside. Just as they were talking about all these things, two more disciples burst into the room all excited and breathless. They had run all the way from Emmaus. They told how they were walking to Emmaus and some stranger had joined them and talked to them about all the Old Testament prophecies and how they were perfectly fulfilled in Jesus' life and death and resurrection. And when they stopped for the evening and he broke bread, 
they realized it was no stranger, that was Jesus. Then he disappeared. As this was going on and all this excitement that was brought into the room, especially by those last two disciples, I imagine it was pretty chaotic. Everybody talking at the same time, telling what they knew, asking questions. And all of a sudden, there was Jesus standing among them. No knock at the door. No one had opened the door. No one really saw how he got there, but there he was. At first, they were terrified. They thought it was some kind of apparition, but then Jesus spoke to them. He greeted them with those wonderful words, peace be with you. They recognized his voice, but could it really be Jesus? Was it really him? So he showed them his hands and his side. He showed them his scars. The scars were the nails had gone through his hands. The scar on his side where the soldier had taken his spear and pierced his side to to make sure he really was dead so that Joseph and Nicodemus could take down his body and wrap it in the strips of cloth with the spices and lay it in the tomb. Those scars were evidence that this was really Jesus, the same one they had seen die on the cross. voice of Jesus, the scars, removed any doubts that they might have. This had to be Jesus. All the scars were in the right places. It was him. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. What filled them with that great joy? At this moment in time, probably just the fact that they were seeing him again, right? brought back a lot of wonderful, happy memories, times when they had been sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to him teach the word alongside of the lake, on the mount, in the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. But it wasn't going to be the same. Jesus wasn't going to stay there with them for long. It wasn't going to be like old times. They would have to learn that the reason for joy was more than just seeing Jesus, was deeper than just getting to see him again. As Jesus appeared to them off and on over the next 40 days, he continued to teach them, the Bible says, about the kingdom of God. He continued to deepen their understanding of what the resurrection meant for them and for their lives and for the future. By God's grace. They have passed on that deeper meaning so that we too might rejoice, so that we too might have a a certain and a living hope. The Apostle Peter says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who, through faith, are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a while, a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, 
the first fruits of those who have been fallen asleep. Because Jesus died and rose again, we have a certain inheritance. We know that we have an internal inheritance. All of the riches and glory of heaven are ours. So whatever we face on earth, whatever is causing us trials or troubles, even a whole year of COVID restrictions, they're light and momentary troubles. They don't last. But our inheritance that Jesus has won for us lasts forever. The fact that Jesus died and rose again proves that he is who he claimed to be. They prove that he did what he came to do. He redeemed us. He paid our ransom. He bought us back from sin, from death, and from the power of the devil. Now he's preparing a place for us. In the future, we'll get to see his scars too. But when we see him standing among us, it won't be like it was on that Easter evening. It won't be that Jesus is popping in and out, appearing and reappearing, disappearing. No, when we get to see those scars, we'll be with him permanently, forever. The Apostle Paul learned a deeper meaning of the resurrection as well. We heard about it in the resurrection chapter section that we read. He reminded us this morning that in an Adam all die. When Adam and Eve picked the fruit and ate it, they rebelled against God. God kept his word. God had said, when you eat from that tree, you will die. God kept his word because he didn't want humans to live under the curse of sin forever. He also didn't want that to last forever. So he raised Jesus from the dead. His scars prove it. He died, but he didn't stay in the grave. He rose again. And he is the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Apostle Paul calls Jesus the firstfruit. He's reminding us of what God teaches us about our, our offerings. We bring God our firstfruit, the first part of the harvest, the top off of our paycheck, trusting that he's going to bring in the rest of the harvest trusting that he will allow us to survive on whatever's left. So Paul's saying Jesus is the first fruit of the resurrection. Because he has risen from the dead as the first fruit, we can trust that God is going to raise everyone else at the last day. Paul says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with the certain hope the living hope of the resurrection. We need that encouragement in our world today. I was wondering what would have happened this past year if more people would have been encouraged by the hope of the resurrection. As we face the uncertainty of the pandemic, everyone seemed to be filled with fear. 
fear of the uncertainty, fear of death. Did they forget that we're all mortal anyway? That every day people are dying from something, whether it's a disease, whether it's cancer, whether it's an accident, something, sooner or later, something's going to kill you. The people in our world today are very uncomfortable with the thought of death. They don't have that certain assurance, that certain hope, that living hope that is ours in Jesus' resurrection. Yes, if we know something's dangerous, it is our duty to warn people about the danger. and It is our duty to stay away from it, avoid it if we can. But the fear of certainty goes away when we see those scars of Jesus. When you realize that because he died and rose again, this life isn't all there is. Because he stood before his disciples with a resurrected body, we one day will stand before him with our own resurrected body, a body that's no longer subject to any kind of sickness or disease or even to death. We need comfort and encouragement in our world today. As we look around us, as we watch the news, as we see and hear all of the unrest that exists in our world, whether it's based on politics, whether it's based on race, whatever it might be, Can you notice in those words of Paul any mentioned of race or politics? The Bible is very clear. There is only one race, the human race. When Jesus suffered and died, he suffered and died for everyone, for the human race. When Jesus comes again, everybody will be raised. All the human race, everyone who's ever lived, will be raised to stand before him. Doesn't matter what color you are, doesn't matter what political affiliation you have, all the dead will be raised. Like the disciples, we will rejoice when we see the Lord, and nothing will make us happier than being able to be in his presence with people from every nation, tribe, and language, living in his presence, basking in his glory for all eternity. We all have scars, scars that come from living in a sin-cursed world. Even Jesus had scars, and he chose to keep them as evidence of who he is. They remind us that in this world we will have trouble, but we can take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. He's even overcome death for us. They remind us that no matter how messed up this world gets, he's still there, still with us. They remind us that he really did die, and he really did rise body and soul from the dead. Because he did, we have certain hope. We have a living hope that keeps us going until we get to see those nail-scarred hands ourselves. They assure us that because he lives, we too will live. Amen. Please stand.